morning again and happy Veterans Day one more time. Um, we are excited to be able to, to worship with you this morning, to be able to dive into God's Word. And uh, if you've been with us the past three weeks, we've gone through a book, uh, the book of Haggai. And in that book, we've talked about the idea of renewing the vision that God has for his kingdom and our role within it. And so what we wanted to do is coming out of that series called Renew the Vision, we're having a three-week series uh, starting today called Own the Vision. And so what does it look like for us to own what this vision is and how it impacts our lives for ourselves, not just in theory, but in practice? And so in order to start, I wanted to share, I've shared this with, uh, with you all before, but I wanted to... Um, kind of reiterate something where if you have heard me share about it, I have, I have really bad vision. Um, not like esoterically, like legitimately my eyeballs. And so uh, we have this idea of um, when, I, when I was growing up, I remember sitting in the backseat of my, my parents' car and uh, I remember driving through and it'd be nighttime and I would see all the different um, street lamps. And as I'm driving by, I remember they kind of would like like have this little like halo and like turn into this little like light thing and it would like look like it was like shooting our car and I'm like, oh man, we're under attack, it's so fun. Um, but it was just the idea of like, I remember just seeing that and it was like, it just wasn't good vision, but I didn't know it at the time, it's all I'd ever known because even with a distorted vision, sometimes it's the only vision we have. And so it wasn't until I was about 18 years old in which um, I went and I got my eyes checked and found out that I have this thing called keratoconus. It's a, it's a progressive condition um, in which I've shared before, but if, if you're newer with us, uh, it starts, most of you normal people, or none of us are normal, you get what I'm saying. Um, most of you who have normal eyesight uh, have a normal cornea, and a normal cornea is rounded. Mine is conical, so keratoconus, that idea of it, because it's more shaped like a cone. And so it's, it's what it means is that lights, if I take these off, I start to see like little halos around here and not like angels, but like just halos around uh, the lights. And so I get these glasses and without glasses, this eye is 2040. Not that bad. Not great. Not bad. Without glasses, this eye is 2200. And so if 2200, if it's not able to be corrected, is, is considered legally blind. But thankfully, I'm able to um, have corrective vision. And so right now, you're all just a sea of faces. And I'm sure you're all great people. And then I'm like, oh, there you are. Um, but I, I want to share it because it's something that's impacted my life, this distorted vision and learning how to actually own that. So what I want to do is I found online... Uh, a picture that kind of helps to demonstrate the difference. So the first picture here um, is New York, and it's got taxi cabs, and um, we have a plenty of lights. And so don't put it up yet, but the next picture we're about to show is one that um, mine isn't quite as, you know, it, it's different. It varies on a spectrum. But this is an example of that same picture of what it looks like for a keratoconic person, someone who has keratoconus. So let's go ahead and put that up. Um, it may be a little hard to see there, but that's kind of the point. And you can't see the signs in the back. We can't read from far away. I can't read that that's an exit sign without my glasses. Um, but being able to, like, the, everything's kind of softened. It's blurried. In other words, it's distorted. And this idea of knowing that my vision had been distorted, I had to eventually, begrudgingly, own that for myself and say, if I have a distorted vision, what do I need to do to correct it? And so I tried hard contact lenses and they were just too difficult for me. Um, and so I got glasses and then I started, you know, I'm starting to wear those and, and getting used to that. But it's this idea of when there's a distorted vision, if the distorted vision is the only vision we've ever had, we don't even know it's distorted. 
But once we are realized, once our eyes are literally opened to true vision of what God has for us, when that happens, then we need to own that, those corrective measures and we need to own that for ourselves. And so as we look at, maybe for some of you, Maybe you've had a distorted vision that, that made it feel like you had to get all your, your grades right ever since elementary school, and you remember your bad grades way more than your straight A's, because perfectionism is something that is in your performance is what distorts your vision to think, oh my goodness, I'm only valuable if I am perfect, which is utterly not true, because none of us are perfect, but all of us have value through the blood of Christ. But maybe, we, maybe for some of you, it's not that. Maybe for some of you, it's the popularity at school and, and within your workplace. And, and it's this idea of wanting to make sure that other people like you, even to the detriment of never really knowing people or being known by people, that we bought in more to our distorted vision and the mask that we put on and invested more in that than we are willing to invest to open up and share. Because if we share, people may not care anymore. But if we never share will never be truly known. Maybe for some of you, it's this idea of possessions and what you own and, and you will work all day and you will work all night and you will gain the whole world and yet lose your soul or lose your family or lose that which we can actually take with us in the next life because we cannot have or we do not take our possessions with us. And so when it comes to these ideas, maybe we've had these distorted visions, and maybe there's several others that could take place, but one of the visions that all of us may have been distorted with initially, and we cannot continue in it, is this idea of what it means for us as a church, and by church, I mean, yes, the, our church, but also we as the people of the church, that we may have distorted visions, and there are ways we cannot afford to do it. In fact, one of the things that we see is that we recognize that maybe we've been blessed in many ways. We're, we're blessed to live where we live. We're, we're blessed with a, a job that we enjoy or a family or a home or whatever it may be. And we may have these blessings. But our lives are not about our comforts. They're not about our wants. They're not about our desires. They're not about our own will. They're not about our preferences. In short, they're not about us that we have been, well, that we are here because God has a purpose for our lives, but our purpose isn't to hoard everything and to hold on to everything for ourselves. And so if our vision is, well, God has given me so much, I'm going to keep it. In fact, I want to be clear, when I'm talking about blessings this morning, that word can often have a connotation of financial. That is not what I'm implying here. I'm not talking about financial blessing, material blessing. I'm not talking about social blessing. I'm not talking about um, any of these other things. What I'm talking about are the spiritual blessings that we have received. And so maybe, just maybe, if we understand what spiritual blessings we've received and we understand that maybe our vision can at sometimes be distorted to thinking it's all about us and what we receive, then we need the corrective lens of God's word in order to show us the ways in which we have not been created to receive, but we are made in the image of a God who gave, gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so we are made in the image of giver. So what does it look like for us? Our main point today, that maybe some of you have heard of the phrase that talks about who you are is God's gift to you and what you do with it is God, your gift to God. Well, I've 
tweaked that a little bit to emphasize the focus on blessing this morning. Again, not financial or material blessing. But when we say how we've been blessed is God's gift to us, what we do with that blessing is our gift to God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are here in this place, and I thank you for each and every person that hears my voice, whether they're here in the room or whether they're listening online later. God, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the heart to receive what it is that you have for each and every one of us, God. And if you do give us the eyes to see, may you break down the scales of our distorted vision so we can see you for who you are. We could receive the blessings you've given us, not for ourselves, but to bless those around us, Lord. So I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, increase, you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, and that you be glorified. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in your notes, we talked about how we've been blessed. How we've been blessed. And we're going to be uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 3 through 10. But you know what? I'm actually going to have you... Um, the scripture is in your notes. If you look at your, your handout, the scripture is laid out with a few fill-ins there that are empty, and it's also going to be on the screen. So you can definitely absolutely open up to Ephesians 1, 3 through 10 if you like, and if I'm going too fast, you can always fill in the answers to make sure you get the right answers there, but we will talk through this idea again, how it is that we've been blessed, not financially, not materially, how have we been blessed? Because we've been given countless blessings by God. But in order to focus this conversation this morning, we're going to read from Ephesians 1, 3 through, 14, uh, sorry, 3 through 10, and see the blessings that Paul displays, that Paul gives, that are spiritual blessings. So we start in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the Lord God and Father, or sorry, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, he in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's, let's stop there. Through Christ, when we have given our lives to him, we have every spiritual blessing. Notice, again, not financial blessing. We are not promised that. This is not a health and wealth gospel. But we've been promised through the Lord Jesus, that we have been receiving, or we can receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, for some of you, when we go through this list, if you, if you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord and given it over to him yet, that some of these things might, might not resonate, you may not quite connect, and may be a little difficult to understand, not because you aren't smart, I'm not implying that by any means, but because it's just our eyes maybe have still been in this distorted vision. We're still not fully sure yet of what it means to follow Christ. And so, my hope and my prayer is that as we read the blessings that we received when we come to know Jesus, that if there's anyone in this room or hearing my voice later online that has not come to know Jesus yet, that have not had the scales of our eyes fallen, that have not had the moment where we say, I once was blind, but now I see, that that's not something we have to wait for another day. That's not something that we, have to, we, can, we want to put off. That's something you can have now. We talk about eternal life. John 17, 3, what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say eternal life is when you die and go to heaven. Jesus says in John 17, 3, that you are able to have eternal life by knowing the Father and the Son who was sent by him. So knowing Jesus is eternal life. Confessing who he is is eternal life. And so for some of you, this idea of recognizing, I don't have that yet. My hope and my prayer is that as we read these words, that if there has been a hardened soil, that God would 
break through the hard soil, that hard layer, to be able to have us be receptive of what he has, spiritual blessings for us, and that we'd be able to receive that. But for those of us who have a relationship with God, let's, let's claim, not in a name it and claim it, but in reading the word of God and saying, what are the spiritual blessings God has given to us in Christ Jesus? Starting in verse, or continuing on in verse four. And you can fill, along, fill them in as you go along. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We start writing those out, and, and if you miss them, I'll, I'll verbalize them again just as we go through the list here. The first thing is this idea that we've been chosen by God, not rejected, that God knows that we will sin. God knows that we have a, a fleshly nature, a sinful nature. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need the redemption through the grace of Jesus Christ. And yet God still chose to love us, chose to send his son to die for us, chose to be the father with open arms, wide open, to receive us back into relationship with him or into relationship with him. He chose us in him. And in fact, using the imagery of the, the prodigal son and his father, that we have been adopted into sonship that we were once far from God and we were once enemies of God, but now we are no longer enemies, but we have the love of the Father has lavished upon us that we may be called children of God, that we are welcomed into his family. Who makes the orphan a son or a daughter? God does. The heavenly Father does. That we have sonship through Jesus Christ. We see here that we, when we have our spiritual blessing, is the redemption through the, his blood, through Jesus' blood. The idea that redemption is a financial term. It's why when you see coupons not redeemable ever, you know just these little details here. And this idea of it's, it's this idea of something has been paid for and I am redeeming this by the power of my payment. And so Jesus redeemed us. He paid for us. He paid it all for us so that we would have right relationship with God. Now again, not because of anything we could do on our own, but because of he who loves us so much that he laid down his life for us, that his only begotten son God sent to redeem us, to pay for us so that we all would be adopted into sonship. We see that we have forgiveness of our sins, that God has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, and that we are now new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we confess when we still make mistakes, none of us are perfect, but we confess our sins and he is righteous and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness, that he wipes us clean through the forgiveness of sin, that we now have wisdom and understanding. That Ephesians 4 talks about how we are no longer children of the dark, but we are sons and daughters of the light. We know the evil deeds and we know what is wrong. And because we have that knowledge, now we have the wisdom to choose the better path, to be able to say we won't live as we once did, but we will now live as God has showed us 
as Jesus has shown us. And we either will live in the shadow of our sin or in the light of our Savior. And then we see lastly this idea of this unity, that he brought us together in unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is that in a world in which people try to segregate, separate, and only be around people like them, the body of Christ is a beautiful picture of people from different races, from different socioeconomic classes, from different countries, from different whatever it may be, that it's in our differences, we find our unity in Christ, that is what makes us beautiful. That is what makes us strong. That is what points people to Jesus. That we have unity together, not divisions over this thing or that or whatever it may be, but to have unity. So that people would say, oh my gosh, who is this God that you follow? Because you don't have anything in common with you or you are confusing and you're all... And yet, we have unity together. And then, not only that, but everything on earth and everything in heaven has unity in Christ. He is the authority of all. And we are all united under his authority and under his banner of love. See, these are beautiful ways that you and I, we have been blessed. Not physically, not, um, not um, financially, spiritual blessings. All of us have that. And so we go and talk about how we've been blessed. We list those out. But we don't receive all these blessings just to hoard them and to hold on to them. In fact, again, we are created in the image of a giver, not in the image of a hoarder or a holder and withholder, I should say, of good things. God is the father and the giver of all good gifts. He's not the holder of all good gifts until we earn it. And so we are created in the image of a giver. And so what does it mean for us to not just to be blessed, to be comfortable, not to be blessed, to have our wants and our desires, not to be blessed, to have the way, the life we want it, but to be blessed, to be a blessing, blessed, to give to others, blessed, to recognize this, this, these spiritual blessings are so good. How could I ever imagine holding them on to myself? How could I ever imagine withholding it from people I love? How could I ever imagine saying, you don't know Jesus. And because I believe in the, what the Bible says, that means you are condemned to eternity without God. But I'm going to hold on to the blessings that I have. I'm going to keep it for myself. Maybe someone else will reach you. Maybe someone else will be braver than I, more open than I, will follow the lead the Lord has given me, but... All of us have been blessed to be a blessing, not to be comfortable and not to have what we want the way we want it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 for the, the, the remainder of our section here. And in Genesis chapter 12 is the section in which we see how Abraham was blessed by God, but not only for his own good. And we'll see that in a moment. In fact, Warren Wearsby in his commentary says this, God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. Again, not for our own good, not for our own sake. We've been, spiritual gifts, we've been given spiritual gifts for the common good, for others. It says, and his great concern is that the whole world might be blessed. Not the people that we like, not the ones that we think deserve it, not the ones that according to our estimation are worthy of it. No, no, no. He wants the whole world because 1 John 2 talks about how he died for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. So it's a much bigger vision of what it means to be a blessing. 
Again, the missionary mandate, as he continues, of the church does not begin with John 3.16 or Matthew 28, 18-20. It begins with God's covenant with Abraham. We are blessed that we might be a blessing. So what does it mean to be blessed to be a blessing? Let's read Genesis 12, 1-3, and we'll grab a couple points from it and, and have a closing story in a few moments. Genesis chapter 12, 1-3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. What does it mean to be blessed to be a blessing? The first part of your notes down there underneath that header says this. Like Abraham, we are to go wherever the Lord leads us. So for you, go wherever the Lord leads you. Because that doesn't necessarily, in Abraham's time, God was calling him to go to a land, to be his people. For us, as we go wherever he leads us, that might mean that we go across our classrooms and talk to students. It might be that we go across the quad during lunch to be able to invest in someone. It means we might go across the office to be able to build a relationship or we've noticed that someone's been down a lot recently and we are to go to them if the Lord is leading us. Perhaps it means to go across the street and to make a friend or build a relationship. Perhaps it means to go across the city and find needs within our city in which we can be a blessing and help out. Maybe it means to go across the nation. Maybe it means to grow across the world. But what it means is to go wherever he's leading, to hear his voice, and to go to people, to share, to be present, to be an example of who Jesus is. That Rick Warren and, and the Purpose Driven Church talks about how it is every Christian's responsibility to share the good news wherever we go. Wherever we go. When you go to a coffee shop, when you go to the same restaurants, when you go to the same stores, when you go wherever it may be, wherever we go, not only when we go to a missions trip, not only when we go somewhere far away, but wherever the Lord is leading you, where he has you to be present and to go and to share our faith and to build relationship. In fact, Rick Warren continues that it's not just about a responsibility. He says this, evangelism is more than our responsibility. It is our great privilege. Let's leave that for a second. I imagine for some people, you hear a sermon about evangelism, and for some of us, we say, well, that's really hard. I, I, you know, I, I want to do that. I want to be available, but you know, I, I, you know, I don't have a lot of non-Christian friends. I, I don't know people that don't know Jesus, or those who do, I don't want to be weird or creepy or whatever, so how do I do that? And so it feels like it's a burden, that it's like a burden for us to be like, okay, well, you know, we talk about it at church. Like, I have to go share my faith now or else they're going to get mad at me. And it can feel like a burden, but it's not a burden. In fact, it's a blessing to be able to share. This is not a, this is not a condemnation. This is not a guilt trip. But this is an encouragement for us to be on a go trip, to go wherever he leads and to be a blessing to people. And to make sure that, it's our great privilege. This is how Rick Warren continues. We are invited to be a part of bringing people to God's eternal family. As long as there is one person in the world who does not know Christ, the church has a mandate to keep growing. One person at a time. One relationship at a time. One life at a time. 
And there are people around you that I will never get a chance to speak to. They will never hear my voice. They will surely hear yours. So whether that's your home, whether that's your neighborhood, whether that's your school, whether that's your office, whether that's the restaurants you attend, whether it's the coffee shops you go, you must go, we must go, and we must learn what it means to have the privilege of sharing what God has done in our lives. I remember going to a lunch with somebody about a year ago, and you know when you go to the order, and, um, or you go to order at a restaurant, when you, it's a walk-up, and real quick, don't do this, but I've always like, wanted to do this thing where like, you go to like, you know, Chick-fil-A and be like, um, I'll have the uh, orange chicken. You know, they like, look back and like, this. anyways. Um, but you go and you make an order, and this guy I was with was like, hey, how you doing? Because what do we do? We say, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Great, can I have this, 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 and this? And it's, it's a very transactional, how are you? How are you? Well, I was with someone who ate, we had lunch, and he said, you know, how are you doing? The guy's like, I'm good. He's like, I want, to give you th- I want you to give me three reasons why you're good. And the guy's like, um, I made it to work today. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a pretty slow day, and you know, that's, I'm glad I have a job, or something like that. And the, the guy I was with was like, well, can I tell you three reasons why, why I'm good. Or no, the guy was like, well, then how are you? He's like, I'm good. Then he's like, well, why don't you give me three reasons? Like, I have a Lord who loves me. I have a Savior who died for me. And I have a family who's incredible. It was such an easy way to just, while you're there, just take, how are you? How are you? And let, uh, instead of allowing it to just be transactional on your, on your order, make it transformational upon God's orders. And so it doesn't have to be hard but this idea of wherever we go, we have the privilege of inviting people in to God's family. But under your notes there, there's this idea of, of go wherever the Lord leads you. And then there's a subpoint underneath it that tells us this, that going isn't just for missionaries. Going isn't just for missionaries. When I was at a senior pastor's group, um, the senior pastor who leads it talks about how there's something that happens within churches. Yes, our church and all of churches where there starts with, you know, someone who's an attender who comes and, you know, they, they just show up when they can. And, and if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. But then what happens is, is that maybe people start to get a little bit more involved. Like, you know what? I think I'll, I think I'll help out maybe with students, maybe with kids ministry, maybe ushering, maybe on the worship team. I mean, different areas of serving. And so then we're like, oh, well then we move. It's like almost like we put those people, put people who serve on a smaller pedestal. But then there's the people who, you know, they're volunteers and, and they come and they serve and then they're the ones that are like on, in our case, like stewards. Like they serve in a capacity that, you know, really helps steer the direction of our church along with the elders. And so, oh, you know, they're stewards. Like they're, they're up there. Or, oh my gosh, the elders. Like, oh, someone's an elder. Like that is, that is, we lift them up. We put them on a pedestal. And then what often happens is kind of after elder, then you go to the place where people are like the, the professional people in ministry. And that's the idea of like, oh my gosh, a pastor. Like, oh wow, we put people, pastors on a pedestal. But then what's the last one? What's the one that if we're really honest, we put above all else? Missionaries. We put missionaries as the ones that are above because they're the ones who actually left the comfort of where they are. They're the ones that have gone out and they're, you know, bold and they share and they've left everything. And we look and we say, oh my gosh, that's incredible. But it means that when those of us are here in our spaces of attending, we say, I'll never be able to do that. 
And we create this chasm, whether we know it or not, we use this distorted vision to say, well, because I'm never going to do that, to go across the nation or across the world to share the gospel of Jesus, we think, well, then I'm not even going to go across the street. Because going, well, that's, that must be for professionals. Those are for the professional Christians, the, the pastors and the missionaries. But let me clue you in on a secret. Once we have professed Christ, we are now professional Christians. We are not waiting and saying, well, that's for other people. Because if we profess Christ, this is our calling, this is our command, this is our privilege, this is our honor. And so we get to say, going isn't just for missionaries. If we believe Ephesians 1, that we've received these blessings, we cannot help but give them out. We cannot help to live in the image of our creator who's a giver God. And so we maybe think of things like, okay, maybe you go to the restaurant and you ask, how are you doing? Give me three reasons. And you go that route. Maybe it's something where you just, like John 9, remember we talked about just a moment ago, the whole idea of I once was blind, but now I see the man born blind who was healed by Jesus. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't take the most recent apologetics course. He didn't understand all the ins and outs, the hows and whys. What he did is he said, I don't know. One thing I do know, I once was blind and now I see. All of us, you, me, we can share our one thing I know testimony with the people around us. One thing I know, I was struggling with depression, and God had freed me from that. Maybe it's one thing I do know is that I was bound in the captivity of addiction, but now I've received freedom, and for freedom I've been set free. Maybe it's one thing I do know is that I had broken relationships and families, and God has brought that and molded that and shaped that together. I don't know what your one thing you do know testimony is, but you do, and God may be putting you in a place to share it. If you go where he leads you, and you realize that going is not just for professionals. If you just share your one thing I do know testimony with people, the John 9, 25 testimony, then that can have an incredible life-changing impact. Because again, sharing Jesus is not a special call for professionals. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary, he's someone who's, oh my gosh, he went to China and he left England and, and that, that's amazing. Here's what it says. Hudson Taylor said this, it will not do to say that you have no special call to go to China. With these facts before you and with the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, you need rather to ascertain whether you have a special call to stay at home. The calling is to go. The calling is to share. The calling is to recognize that this is not an option. This is a command. And so, we talk about what it means to going isn't just for missionaries. We talk about what it means to lead, go wherever the Lord leads you. The next point underneath your notes, let's reread verses 2 and 3 and then see what it tells us. Verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So if like Abram we go where the Lord is leading us, the next step is for us to bless those or whoever is around you. Go wherever the Lord leads you, bless whoever is around you. What does it mean to bless them? That, that it doesn't, again, we're not looking financial. We're not looking, we're, we're not looking at those things. We're looking at how do we physically 
show people the love of God and bless them with what we've received as spiritual blessings so they may know him. Rick Warren says it this way. The church exists to minister to people and ministry is demonstrating God's love to others by meeting their need and healing their hurts in the name of Jesus. The church is to minister to all kinds of needs, spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical. Notice which one he says first, spiritual. To minister to spiritual needs, but notice how often it is that in order for us to get to spiritual needs, we might have to start with the physical, right? We start and we give a cup of cold water because that is refreshing. We start by feeding people locally. We start by serving locally with a physical need and then maybe we build relationship with them and help them and to help us grow in relationship and then maybe it's emotional and then it's spiritual. There's a path, but the first is spiritual and the process is the reverse of that. The process is physical, relational, emotional, spiritual. Not that that's a perfect cookie cutter idea, but that's the general idea. And so we have been redeemed, as Galatians 3 says. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You and I have received the promise of the Spirit and the blessing through Christ under the Abrahamic blessing. And now we cannot hold on to it anymore. We cannot hoard it. We must be able to give it out in the image of our Creator God and our Giver God to be able to recognize that now we are blessed to be a blessing. We bless those around us by seeing, having our eyes open to the need and getting rid of the distorted vision that our blessings are for our own sake, but they're for the world's. And then lastly, on the bottom part of your notes, if we learn that going isn't just for missionaries, then discipling isn't just for pastors. The process of making disciples is not just for, again, these quote-unquote professional Christians. Why? Because once we profess Christ, we are all professional Christians. And so this idea that we see is to focus on what does it mean for you, you to be able to be a disciple maker. That we look here and we say, you know, often who are the people that we think should be the ones that make disciples? We often think in our, in our distorted mindset, it's the people who have it all together, or the ones who, you know, don't struggle anymore. And so what happens? Then we say, well, then I can't disciple anybody because, again, I'm over here and look at the professional Christians over there. They're the ones that do discipling. I, there's too much of a chasm. There's too much of a gap. I don't know enough. I haven't grown enough. But who are the people, in addition to, yeah, professional, like, we do our calling too, but who are the people that are often the best at discipling and evangelizing? Do you know? They're the people who just gave their lives to the Lord. Why? One, because they're on fire for God and they recognize immediately how much God has changed everything. Their, their thirst for the word is voracious and their lives that they live are gracious. They are able to recognize that now they've changed and they want the people that they've been changed by God, they want to make a change in the world. And so we see here that they are able to be on fire for the Lord, but guess what as well? They also still know a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And so because of those two factors, people who are brand new to coming to know Jesus are often the best ones to disciple. And yet, what do we instinctively or, or culturally, what do we tell them? Well, you have to wait until you're ready. And then a lot of us stay in a waiting pattern, waiting to be ready. And days turn to weeks, turn to months, turn to years, turn to decades, and we've not made one disciple because we're waiting to be ready, to have it all together. That's not what the gospel says. It's not 
be perfect and then come to me so I can make you perfecter? It says that in your imperfection, while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. He chose us when we were broken. He saw us in the muck and the mud and the mire, and he brought us in and adopted us into sonship. He made the orphan a son and a daughter. That he sees us, he redeems us through, our, through his blood and all these different things we see in Ephesians 1. Now, with my last few minutes, what I want to do is I shared this with you a little over a year ago. So if it looks familiar to you, I recognize it's something I've shared before. And so if you remember it, you know, we'll, we'll walk through that journey together. If you don't remember it, just don't tell me because then I feel like I'm not doing, I mean, what am I doing? Anyways, um, but no, let's look at discipling isn't just for pastors. And we're going to take a moment to look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so I'm going to read it first. Then I'm going to dissect some of the, the, uh, the different uh, tenses and how it's written, and then we'll come to our point as we conclude. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you remember the Haggai passage or the, the series we just finished? The four words that we said that this is the foundation upon which we build our lives, the message God had for us. What was it? I am with you. We're seeing it again. Jesus says, I am with you even to the end of the age. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to reside within us. He is with us. And so looking at the Greek, there's only one imperative or one command in this section. And then there are three ways of doing that or, or three participles that explain how to do that or the process of that. And a participle is, we often see participles in our English language because they have the ending ing. And so here's an example that Kenny Burchard used in order to kind of get the point across of what the Great Commission is saying. So we see here, he gives an example for us in our modern day. So he says, tune up the car, changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distributor cap. What is the imperative there? It's tune up the car. How do you do that? What's the, where are the ING words? Changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distributor cap. So we, should, we just showed it a little early, but here, what is, the, what is the command in the orange? What is it that we're calling to do? Tune up. Changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distributor cap. Sorry, you're on time. I'm behind. Um, then what do we say here? The imperative verb, the thing to do is to tune up the car. How do we do it are those three things. See, an imperative verb is surrounded by participles, as Kenny Burchard says. That's exactly how the Great Commission text reads. So let's look at the Great Commission text now with the same idea, with the orange highlighting the command, the imperative, and with that grayish color highlighting the participles or the how. Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's the imperative? What's the command? What are we called to do? Make disciples. Exactly. How do we do that? Well, we continue on. Rick Warren talks about this idea of going and how he says it is that each of these ones, each of these ideas is a part of the command to make disciples. Going baptizing and teaching are the essential elements of the disciple-making process. And it talks about how the idea is more not only go across the world, it's the participle is as you are going, as you are on your way. It's having, been, having gone. So it's like it's kind of, it's already happening, 
And so as you go about not waiting to be ready to go and do something big, it's recognized you can do something big every day. If your eyes are open to go where he's led you and for our heart to be open to bless those around you. And so he's ta- he breaks those things down and says, as you are going, do this. Here's how Kenny closes it. He says, that means that the Great Commission is not about just going on trips to evangelize people who speak a different language. Even though that is a legitimate thing to do, we're not downplaying that. There are people called to do that. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not, but that's not all that it is. Because if that's all that it is, then that means that Jesus' Great Commission was only meant for the select few. And it's not how that is. His salvation is meant for all who would believe, and his great commission is for all who receive it. And so it's not just for the select few. Yes, he said it to the disciples, but then they spread it to the world. And so we see here the going, um, excuse me, the going in the great commission is best understood as as a fact that is taken for granted. It would be more like while you're going through your daily routine, you Yes, you, you who work at the prison or the restaurant, as you are going along doing what you do and going wherever you go, disciple. The call is to discipleship, to make disciples as you are going. How? Well, as you're going, share, baptizing them, bringing them into the family of God, and then teaching them. How often do churches will sometimes bring someone to, they'll come to know Jesus and they'll have their faith shared with them, or someone will share with them. They'll give their lives to the Lord. They'll be baptized, and then there's no more teaching. There's no more one-on-one discipleship. It's kind of more like, oh, you did it. Great job, and now we're done. No, 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 Jesus doesn't say that. He says that all of us are called to make disciples, to come alongside people, and how we do that is by going, baptizing, and teaching. They're all part of the process. So as we close, I want to share this idea of we look back and say, how our vision has been distorted. Has, have you and I, have we seen the vision and the, the reason behind blessing for ourselves? And if so, then we need the corrective lenses of God's word through which to see that we are not blessed for our comfort. We are not blessed for ourselves, but we are blessed to be a blessing to others, that we pay it forward so that others will move forward in their relationship with Jesus. So for you, Who is someone that God may be calling you to reach? You go somewhere, you see the same faces all the time. Right now, is the Holy Spirit putting a face, even if you don't know the name yet, is he putting a face that he's calling you to go to? To be bold and recognize that's our calling, that's our command, but it's our privilege. And who is someone God is calling you to bless? Where is there a need that you can meet? Where is there a space of brokenness that you can point people to Jesus? Where can you stand in the gap for someone? Where can you give a cup of cold water on a hot day? Where can you bless those who are in need of blessing? And maybe it starts physical, as a physical thing you can provide. And then it goes to emotional, to relational, and ultimately to spiritual. So as we close, what does it look like when God's people truly own the vision of being blessings? And I want to share a quick story. Um, as we close. And so uh, I'm going to show a picture of a friend of mine named Roman. He and I went to India together in 2005 as a team of seven. I've talked about India before, uh, but let's go ahead. And, uh, there's a picture of he and I together uh, outside of a waterfall as we were getting ready as a team to leave. And so Roman um, is someone that was uh, born in India, and he was actually born in the city of Bangalore, which is 
uh, kind of the Silicon Valley of India, if you will. So technologically driven, bigger city. He was born in Bangalore and he was in an orphanage. And when he was two and a half years old, he was adopted um, by a Christian family up in Washington. And so it was the Ashraya Children's Home. And while we were there, when we were in India, we made a trip to go visit his, the orphanage that he spent the first two and a half years of his life in. And so as we went there, we um, had the opportunity to, to uh, see like babies inside of cribs and, and to kind of just get a picture of like that was where he was years and years before. We, we saw kids inside of uh, bigger bunk beds and, and Roman actually got an opportunity to, to meet some of the caregivers that had cared for him, that they had remembered him when he was there 19 or so years prior. And so it was just this powerful moment, an honoring moment to be a part of seeing someone who had grown up in those cribs and in that orphanage to then see how he had been blessed. Again, not just financially, materially, but he'd been blessed by God. He has a faith in Jesus. And so what we, he got back 2005, we got back and then he made trips for a few years afterwards. He would go and he would make trips to, to India or to Nepal in order to help fight against human trafficking in order to recognize he had been blessed, but he's not going to take that blessing and to stay in his comfort, but that he would go and he would bless those around him that were from his nation or the region or his city. And so as we close, that's just one example. There are countless examples. But as we remember that God is the God of this city, he's the king of his people, the Lord of all nations, that we recognize that God is calling us to put aside the distortion of thinking that our lives are about us and that we would own that change with the corrective lenses of scripture and that we would see ways in which we can bless those around us, that how God has blessed us and that's his gift to us and how we respond, how we bless others, what we do with that blessing is our gift back to God. And so in the next couple of weeks, as we conclude this series, or as we go through the series, uh, I'm really excited to have Pastor Evan preaching for us uh, next week. And I'm going to be in the front row taking notes um, and being able to hear a little bit more about how we look, lo what it looks like locally to have that impact. And then we'll talk about what it means to give towards a vision, to be able to give of so many things in order to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in our city. He's a God of this city as well as across the world. And as we think about our city, there's a reason why Pomerado Christian Church is in Poway, California, and not Skokie, Illinois. There's a reason why God has us here, to have an impact here. That when we talk about gifts for Jesus, it's a ministry that's serving here. And so we have the opportunity to make sure that we are seeing what God wants to do in and through us here. Because our city the city and the country, right? We've been removed from so much. And then yet in April, we had our lives completely changed by what happened down the street at the Chabad. And that veil of security or that bubble of comfort was popped. And so our city is still wounded. We are still wounded. And thanks be to God that we have a savior who is, was wounded and he's a healer. That a wounded healer is how we can minister and how we can impact around us. And so 
as we take the next couple weeks and as we sing this song in a couple moments, that if we truly believe that there is no one like our God, then we can have faith that greater things are yet to come in our city, greater things are yet are still to be done, and we have hope that God is not done with us. May we have the mindset to receive the blessing he has, not for ourselves, but to give it back and bless others as our gift to him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are here in this place. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your blessing. And thank you for helping us to expand that term to not just mean financial or, or um, material blessing, Lord, but to truly recognize from Ephesians 1 how overwhelming it is to be blessed and receive those blessings from you. God, I pray that we would remove, that you would remove the scales from our eyes in any ways in which we feel like we have made our lives about our comfort and ourselves, but Lord, may it be about your glory, and so others will know you as the God of comfort. And so Lord, I pray that we would decrease and that you would increase, and that you would work in our lives, and that we would know that greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done. You are the God of the city. You are the God of our, all people. You are the Lord of all nations. You are the Lord of our lives, and you sit on the throne. So God, may we respond and give the gift back to you of being blessed to be a blessing to others. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.